as we go through chapter by chapter in the book of Exodus, this book has great significance in that it is the book that speaks of redemption. In Genesis, we have the fall, the curse, the corruption, everything that's been ruined by sinful man. And the Lord took steps by calling a man named Abraham, following the great deluge, the flood, when he was so grieved, God was, that he completely wiped away and wiped off the planet everything where there was breath in its nostrils, as the Bible says. Particularly his crowning creation, crowning achievement. Man made in his own image. The pain that God felt because everything he did was love. Everything he did was grace. He was eager to bless the man he created, the people that he created, the multiplied thousands and hundreds of thousands. And all they did was continually think of evil and do evil. And he spared, as we know, eight people. And he started again. But as he called Abraham, he gave him a covenant. And he said, out of you I will make a nation and you will become a father of many nations. And he gave a sevenfold promise to the patriarch, which included much blessing and a warning for those who would come against the man he called and set apart for himself. The man who obeyed God's voice. And through Abraham came this nation that we have been reading about in the book of Exodus, a people who are brought out from bondage throughout the book of Exodus and then led into the wilderness And instead of a direct route into the promised land, the Lord cared for them that they should not faint if they should see warfare from the Philistines and these people that were there. And so he led them another way, and yet his intention was not to lead them on an unintentional or extended, overextended stay in the wilderness and yet they ended up as we know prolonging that journey and much tragedy befell them the good news is where there is death and destruction and plague God has a Passover he has a Passover prepared for each person that would put their faith his or her faith in him where divine retribution and judgment comes upon the people who rebel and refuse to do what he says to protect themselves under his blood 
God has a Passover for his own people. God has a protection for his own people. He wants to bring us out of the house of bondage and into his redemption and into glory. Deliverance and redemption are not necessarily the same thing, strictly speaking. Deliverance is being taken away from crises or some difficulties, trouble, bondage. But redemption is a purchase unto himself. There's a departure from bondage and if all it was was a deliverance then they could stay in a vacuum. They can stay not knowing what to do with no instruction, no guidance. They've been delivered, it's true. As we made the analogy yesterday of a person coming out of prison. A person who comes out of prison behind, from behind the bars, who is let out into the street, as it were, to be a free man or a free woman, cannot claim to not have been delivered from that prison because they're no longer in the prison. They've come out. There's a glorious liberation from being inside, controlled, restricted, and in many cases abused in various degrees. It's a rare thing for a prisoner in any prison to not be put down or abused verbally at least in some way. It's a great blessing not to be abused. But whatever the case, to come out is to enjoy freedom. That would be deliverance. But redemption is Someone's waiting there to take us to themselves or herself, himself. To treasure us. And that's exactly what the Lord said. The descriptions that God uses of these people who, even while they were in Egypt, when the word came that they'd be delivered, they did complain and they did argue, they were bitter to such people God still expressed all his love and he said you were just a number behind bars you were used and abused to serve other people men who had control over you now you've been set free, now you've come out and a person who is just a number who for all effective purposes has lost his or her humanity the identity has been crushed so severely through the long abuse 
Now God comes and immediately says, you are my treasured possession. I will be your God. You come under my wing. And what I promised your forefather, I'm going to do through you. I'm going to not only deliver you, but I'm going to redeem you to myself. And I'm going to take you into the very land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will let you take over the land. But there was a Passover, this final plague. And from the Passover, where they just escaped with their lives from the house of bondage, and from the death angel that went around killing the firstborn and they came through the Red Sea on dry ground not a swampy ground that would be expected of a seabed God did multiple miracles as they came he took them essentially from a Passover and route to a takeover he said, I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Once again, archaeology corroborates with the existence of this Semitic people, Hebrew people, which for centuries, the naysayers and the demon-inspired atheistic so-called scholars and critics they said none of this is true because there is no such thing as a Hebrew people. Where do you find that? Other than the Bible. God systematically crushes the opposition, the lies of this devil working through fallen man. And they found records that there were a group of people that were enslaved in bondage and they did come out of Egypt. They've also found in archaeological discoveries that the contemporaries, including Egyptians, in their secular records noted Canaan as being a land flowing with milk and honey. And God said, I'm taking you there. I'm going to take you into the land not only to set foot in, it, foot in it to say that I'm keeping my covenant with Abraham. I've brought the people out, the descendants of Abraham, and they finally put their foot on the land. It's done. He didn't stop there. He said, I'm going to give the land to your descendants, which means there's going to be war. There'll be battles. God said, I'll be with you. I will make sure... I'll drive out all your enemies. To Abraham, back in Exodus, uh, that is Genesis chapter 15, the Lord had said, when he made a solemn covenant with him, and he passed through the midst of those pieces of flesh that were cut in two, and the deep, dark horror fell upon Abram as he fell asleep when the sun was setting, The Lord passed through 
with that flame and that torch, with that fire. And he signified that he is making a promise that he will surely keep. And while Abraham was in this deep sleep, he said, no for sure. In Genesis 15:13, your seed, they will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves. For 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end they will come away with great wealth. God prophesied. They're not just going to come out to be outside the prison doors. They're going to come out with spoil. They're going to come out wealthy. From the guttermost to the uttermost, from the prison to the palace. It happened to them in one day. This is what salvation depicts. Our redemption. That in an instant, we get translated and transferred. Our citizenship gets transferred to heaven. Born again in all of the groans and the woes and the darkness and the gloom and the death trap hopelessness loneliness all of that is wiped away because God has shown up hallelujah they came out according to the promise God gave Abram way before he became Abraham way before he had Isaac all these spectacular promises in detail. You're going to have so many descendants like the stars of heaven and sand on the seashore. And this is what's going to happen centuries down the road, Abram. Your descendants that will be multiplied. You don't have a son yet. Your own son, Isaac. But God speaks of it as if it has already happened. Not one son promised son. God is speaking of how your descendants will be foreigners in a strange land or strangers in a foreign land. They'll be enslaved and the nation that does that to them, I will surely punish them. There's another prophecy. He said the Amorites' sins are not yet full. In verse 16. God knows exactly what he's doing. He is in total control of every situation in our lives. He is the best. He is our Heavenly Father. He brings joy to us. He brings life and peace. He renews us. And he reassures us, don't be afraid. The same Yahweh I'm not certain exactly how it was pronounced. The same Lord is the one who walked on the water in the middle of the night. He said, be not afraid, it's me. 
and his eye. When the storm came, when he was asleep and he was woken up, he calmed the situation. The great I am that thundered upon the oppressors of his people. As David says in his psalm later, I cried unto God when I was in distress. He rose up. He became indignant. He burned with fury and came down and swept me up away from my enemy and he shot his lightnings took care of the enemy I will rejoice in God my Savior with the last plague that we'll read about today and the Passover that is mentioned and the preparation the instructions for it and how they obeyed and they found the deliverance of the firstborn how they obeyed and they found the deliverance of their whole generation coming out of Egypt. Can you imagine such an exodus? A few million people coming out at one time. What prison? What prison has ever opened its doors to let out a couple of million people all at once? What people has ever seen such wonders as God has shown. What nation? And they've seen the glory of God. And they've heard the voice of God. And they've heard that God loves them. The people that were put down and shut down and abused, they found love waiting on the other side of the prison. Not a rebuke, but love. And the love embraced them and said, you will be my people, I will be your God. It's not some poetic expression, but a living God. The people were given this observance of Passover as a foreshadow of the Passover lamb who will come some 15 centuries later. So much God has in mind when he gives us something, he entrusts something to our hands, if we're just faithful to do what he says, how the kingdom of God that begins as a mustard seed in our hearts can grow to become a big, huge tree where it will bring much comfort, life, shelter to multitudes. God has big plans. These people saw that firsthand. In Exodus chapter 10, We've seen the plagues of the locusts and this darkness that could be felt 
and we have seen all the other plagues that ravaged through that land, devastated it. Satan had such a grip on Pharaoh's heart that he would go through these spells and fits of rage and go back on his word every time leading up to his destruction. On the one hand, Pharaoh was filling his cup with the wrath of God. On the other hand, the Amorites were possessing the very land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. They were filling their cup up with the wrath of God. Just at the right time, when the sovereign God scans the globe, he orchestrates things to do the best for his children while punishing those who hurt his children. God hasn't changed. The same great I am who walked on the Sea of Galilee. The same great I am who told these people you're my treasured possession. I'm drawing you to myself in the wilderness. And I will teach you my statutes. I will give you the Torah. I will school you in the ways of God. I will teach you what holiness means. I will show you how you must be careful when you approach me because I'm not like you. Absolutely holy. But you can come to me. I will make a way. Because God's intent from the beginning was to tabernacle with us. He wants us to live with him. He wants to live with us. How beautiful. Exodus chapter 11. And the Lord said to Moses, Yet will I bring one more plague, one plague more upon Pharaoh. And on Egypt, afterward he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor. Articles of silver and articles of gold. Can you see the joy of the Lord? We're used to saying the joy of the Lord to mean what we possess from God. But here I mean the joy of the Lord. His own joy. God is eager and excited my children who have been oppressed, the seed of my servant, my friend Abraham, they're not coming out empty-handed. They're going to get their wages. All of the cheating that happened through the taskmasters and Pharaoh, the oppression, I'm going to make sure they get all that back, back wages, and then some. How beautifully, who could have thought these things? Wouldn't it be enough just to get out of prison after being in that dungeon for centuries as a nation? Being abused brutally. Slave labor. Just to get out. Having the cuffs off the hands. Being able to comfort oneself and tried to alleviate the pain from the marks from those prison shackles. 
and to have a tremendous sigh. Can you imagine yourself there? Just to come outside knowing that I'm not going to get a beating tonight. Every day they beat me. These Egyptian overlords under Pharaoh. Unjustly. I was doing my best. I was giving 100%. They still beat me. I didn't talk back. And they said, you can't have straw. You have to produce brick now. You're idle. This Moses and Aaron has spoken about your Lord. Now I'm going to make your lives miserable than ever before. More miserable. They still beat me. Now I'm out of prison. They're not going to beat me Monday like they did last week and all my life. They're not going to beat me Tuesday. No overlords over me. I don't have to look over my shoulder and see when the whip is going to come. Oh my God. I'm free. God says, that's not all. You're going to come with treasure. You are my treasured possession. I'm going to deck you with the finest jewelry. I'm going to bring you to a land flung with milk and honey. Before that, I'm going to let your enemies know who I am and who you are to me. And I will be with you in the wilderness. My presence will go with you. I will make sure that everything you need will be provided for you. How faithful God is. Who would ever speak such loving words? How easy it is to hear this as a Sunday school story and even as an adult to have that kind of approach to it. How easy it is to Get back to a mundane reading of it, or reading of it, looking for some details perhaps to debate and argue, or to find some kind of moral. But how different it is to read and to reflect on the person, the author of the very scriptures, the God of the Bible who actually did these wonderful things and conveyed his eternal love to his people. And to know that he himself has told us he doesn't change. He's available for us. Because we belong to him through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood of his very own son. How shall he not with him also give us all things freely when he didn't even spare his son? He delivered up his own son so he can redeem us back to himself. What a focus that should give us. I'm not from here. I'm supposed to be clothed with humility and love and holiness. Oh God, help me to remember my identity Saturday morning. Not just on Sunday morning. And throughout the week, help me to know what I owe you is a debt that I can never fully repay but the least I can do and the best I can do is to give myself as an offering of worship to you you redeemed me you've loved me you've treasured me 
And God sanctifies us. He schools us. He teaches us. His ways. His goal is that we be conformed to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. One more plague, Moses. And I want you to tell the people, this is what you're going to do. Before I take you out of here, from this house of bondage, go and knock on your neighbor's door, the Egyptians, and say, you mind giving me your bracelet and the chain? How about that silver over there? Can you give me those gold rings? Tell everyone to ask, yes, Aside from the children, quite possibly at least a million people or more knocking on the neighbor's doors. Give me the gold, give me the silver. No, it's not at gunpoint. Just asking you. Can I borrow some of that? The Lord told him to do this. Who would ever write something like this that the God of the universe would tell them to engage in this? Nothing wrong with it. But how marvelous. And to think that these things were used in the construction of the tabernacle. How God knows the end from the beginning. Every step in our walk with our great God is never a misstep. And it's never just a step. It's leading to the construction of something big, good, great, and glorious in our lives. It's true. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. The power of God to change people's minds and hearts. A person like Pharaoh who refuses to yield to God for his own salvation can still be frightened to say, I give up. The same token, a people, a group of people as the Egyptians who worshipped scores of gods and goddesses, demons really, and who loathed the Hebrews. They hated them. can also be moved upon by the sovereign hand of God to all of a sudden flip to show favor. Isn't that right? Nehemiah stood before the king and he prayed for favor. And he received it. God continues to bestow his divine favor on the people who simply do what he says. And believe. Now imagine if the Israelites said, this is, this is too much. How, how can I ever ask them for this? Maybe if I ask them for water, they may give it to me, but for their gold and silver? Moses, are you sure you're hearing from God? But they did it. God cleared the way. They came away with spoil. God is concerned 
with his glory connected to his divine purpose which is connected to our welfare our good they receive the favor and during the process of this unveiling of judgment on Egypt including this sudden favor to receive these articles of gold and silver the very man that they rejected in the beginning the Lord caused his fame to grow moreover the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people the Israelites had a problem with Moses in the beginning and they would later too but all of a sudden they understood he's actually speaking for God he's giving us exactly the words of God we better do what he says because it's God who's telling us to do it through him at the same time these Egyptians who thought who is this 80 year old man coming here and trying to tell us these things so he did a few tricks our Egyptian magicians can do them too but there came a point where they couldn't duplicate it they began to tremble God is concerned about our reputation when we are most concerned with his honor in our lives Moses abandoned himself to the will of God he loved God God loved him he wanted to honor the Lord he grew as the Lord taught him and showed him as he obeyed then Moses said in verse 4 Exodus 11 thus says the Lord about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill nobody's exempt this plague is going to touch every single household and also the animals the firstborn of the animals God keeps predicting what he's going to do and how Egypt and Pharaoh are going to respond he's in total control and praise God for that because the Israelites needed deliverance from this man who thought he was a god and from people who thought they had the supreme gods and goddesses and they were oppressing them how excited the Israelites were when they had that hope but now they see God in action there's a trembling and a rejoicing at the same time there's a tremendous anticipation we're about to go we're about to go out from this place all the different things God is doing 
And now he announces people are going to be crying in Egypt. At midnight I'm going to come through with my judgment against this Pharaoh, all these people who have been oppressing my people. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out all the people who follow you. Notice, it's not just saying get out, despising. They're going to be afraid. They're going to come and bow down to me. After that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. Moses now is sharing the fury and the emotion in part of how God feels against these people who have been doing so much wrong against his people who are innocent. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you. He still won't listen. So that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Exodus 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. Now, God brings these people who don't seem to have any identity under the severe bondage and oppression. They would have forgotten for all intents and purposes any linkage to Abraham or any use for that, even if they remembered the connection. Nothing seems to be happening. I'm stuck over here. It's the same old thing. Oppression, oppression, oppression. I can't have any peace. I can't have any freedom. I don't feel any day without pain. Oh God, I heard about God. They say the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, I don't know who he is anymore. I don't even know if he's around. Much less care. God begins to form and structure the very calendar for these people. God is involved very involved. This month shall be your beginning of months. Never mind the Egyptian calendar, other calendars. I have the calendar for you. You're special. It shall be the first of the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation, all the multitude of these Israelites in bondage. Just coming out saying, on the tenth of this month. It's like God saying, this is when January starts. The Egyptians may say it's July. But I'm telling you this is your January. Count 10 days. 10 days. January 10th. 
everyone is going to get a lamb, take it to your house, you're going to inspect that lamb for four days, it's going to be a sacrifice. In conjunction with this plague, I'm going to look for the blood of that very lamb that you're going to inspect, make sure it's spotless, without blemish. When I see the blood on the lintels of your dwellings and on the side posts, seeing the blood will cause me to pass over and I won't permit the angel of death to kill your firstborn. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel. Saying on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. One animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. You are to divide that lamb according to each man's need, according to the number of people. Your lamb shall be without blemish a male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. In the evening. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. They were supposed to eat it, understanding that they have to be poised for action. They're going to be moving very soon. There's no time to sit down and relax and have some slow cooking and make it just the way they like it. Death is going to come. They're going to escape. They're going to escape this house of bondage because death is going to strike their enemies' houses. It's time to go. It's time to get out. When God says to move, we have to say, I'm going to move. Not linger. We have to get ourselves in check. 
to do things God's way. Otherwise, we'll miss the boat. We can miss our exodus. We can miss the promised land by one decision or a string of little decisions. Becoming lazy spiritually. And how gracious God is. How long has He borne with your laziness? My laziness. God comes and He says, You don't have to be that way. I didn't create to be like create you to be like that. I didn't create you to be independent and proud, but to be humble and submissive to be a doer of my commandments so you can have life that more abundantly. God is patient. God is merciful. There comes a point in which if we persist in pulling away from his grasp and doing our own thing, thinking like the world, like the heathen, I'll plan my vacation, I'll plan what I'm going to buy, when I'm going to buy now I'm going to buy it. I'll plan who I'll call on the phone and who I'll mingle with. I'm my own person. I'm Mr. or Mrs. Nice. I like to be nice and I like to be friendly. I like to be uh, sympathetic to people. and I like to be a humanitarian. I, I want to be the good guy. And in order to be the good guy and to be popular, I have to be a nice guy. And sometimes the truth that God gives me and what he wants me to do is seemingly too restrictive. And instead of smiles, sometimes I may get frowns for following the truth. But it's up to me. After all, I'm a Christian. God saves me. And then he lets me loose to do what I want. Then I can come back to him and say, Lord, take me to heaven when that time comes. These people followed exactly the instructions that were given. And they were tremendously, miraculously blessed. Everything had a meaning. The greatest meaning that comes from here, we all know, is that the Passover lamb signified the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was about to be offered up of his own will for our sins, he said, the prince of this world cometh and he findeth nothing in me. The devil has nothing that he can find in me. Even Pilate, who was very evil and wicked, ruthless, very barbaric, He said, I find no fault in this man. He was the unblemished Lamb of God, qualified to be our Passover, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, sacrificed for us. Therefore, in connection with the unleavened bread here, he says, get rid of the leaven. There's a spiritual meaning for all of these things. Most of us are aware of it. God is looking for a reaction on our parts. That is, if I've embraced the Passover lamb as my 
sacrifice for my sins, then I have to get rid of leaven too. I can't have both. I can't have Christ and have malice. But rather we need to have the unleavened bread. We need to get rid of the leavened bread and have the unleavened bread. Leaven signifying evil in most cases in the Bible. He says, leave the malice and the hypocrisy and the anger and the vengefulness. All this is malice. All this is leaven. You can't be with God and have that stuff. In fact, the Lord will say, as we read, the person that has leaven during this time will be cut off from his people. They'll be separated. Who will do that? God will do that. He'll make a separation. And they're called to anticipate exactly as God said at midnight he's going to come through. God is coming through the land. Judgment is going to fall. All of a sudden you're going to see the TVs turn off, the entertainment down, parties stop, howling begin. When? At midnight. Because God will cause the destroyer, the angel of death, to come and take lives. How frightening and yet how humbling it is to know that God and God alone spared my life. He's making me new. He's giving me new direction. I'm, so, I'm, I'm supposed to live for Him, not for me. I'm supposed to find out what His purpose and program is for me, my life, the blueprint. I want to make sure I follow exactly because I spent enough time not following that and could have been wiped out. But for the grace of God, God says, I'm going to remove the burdens from you. That's one of the first things he says. The burdens from the Egyptians that are upon you. All the way to freedom, deliverance, inheritance, blessing, glory. As we go through the world, we must have that focus. God has redeemed me unto himself to prepare me to live with him forever. I can't afford to be caught up with the filth of this world or any foolishness or waste of time, energy or money. I need to be focused on the Lamb of God who was slain for me so I can live. He says, you have to eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Notice this. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Nobody can stop me. All of those gods are nothing. They're inventions of Satan. You have these so-called gods that look like human beings with a dog's head and serpents and all these things and frogs. How vile they are insulting me 
the living God who gave them breath and created all things and who has spared them up until this point, no more. It's over. I will execute judgment on the people and against their gods to show that I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. The institution of this Passover feast and in connection to it, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Seven days following the Passover. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. There's a sanctification God expects. There's a sanctification in connection with the deliverance and redemption that will lead to redemption and glory, perfection. There's a process and a path that gets brighter and brighter for the believer, the child of God, the true child of God. Because the true child of God loves God, loves His Word and wants to know, Father, what is your plan? I'm eager to know, Lord, and how am I supposed to behave, Lord? What do you expect from me? What are your expectations? I want to do everything, Lord. And you never give me something I can do. You're the best. That father-child relationship, full of delight, holy, as well as a husband-wife relationship, groom and bride. There's a consummation. God leads everything to where as the Lord Jesus prayed in John 17 we will be one with him never to be separated and to a degree where it will be ultimate perfection in Christ not of ourselves and by ourselves in Christ something so vast and so great that it just fills us like an ocean. Us being just cups overflowing with God's goodness and the power of His Word and His promise and the actual thing that He does and will do. There's a sanctification. He said, you shall eat that unleavened bread. You don't have time. But there's another significance as the Holy Spirit records in the New Testament that fermentation or that yeast for the most part not in every instance most part represents evil get rid of it don't let it linger whatever is evil that you're doing and that you're embracing that God hates God says get rid of it don't let even a trace of it be there. Among you which are saved, let there not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint, not even a trace of loving money, covetousness. These are the sins 
that would drown a person in the lake of fire. It's true. Greediness, murder, thefts, witchcraft, all these things. God says you stay clear from everything that will defile you. Stay holy. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. God immediately tells them, you've been in bondage, you don't know who I am. I am the Lord. From the very beginning I'm telling you, as I told Moses, he said, put your shoes off from your feet. The place you're standing is holy ground, I'm here. And so he communicates to these millions of people. You're coming to a holy God. I'm going to educate you. I'm going to show you my love. I'm going to show you my power. Do the right thing. Sanctify yourself and let me sanctify you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. There's a very specific, precise instruction. Do exactly what I say, no more, no less. How many people try to do one more thing than what God said to do, and it turns to be counterproductive and a downright disaster? How many people said, I'll do everything, Lord, except this one thing that becomes their tripping hazard, that weight that keeps them from going forward in the race. We have to say, Lord, what do I have? What do I have that can ever compare with your riches, your love? And if you hate sin so much, Lord, shouldn't I hate it as much? Because you're in me, I'm in you. I'm in a covenant relationship with you. You are upright and good and perfect and everything you do is right, Lord. When you tell me to depart from evil and you identify it, it's not a generic thing that God says. He spells it out with the covenant that he'll give, the law. And then we have the privilege of having the whole counsel of God you can never go wrong. They could never go wrong. He gave everybody what they needed at the particular stage to be safe under his wings. How important it is for us to read the Word of God and to learn it and to see what God requires of us and to do it and then to convey to our children and say, you must fear the Lord. He's a holy God. Look at what he did with Israel. Look at what he did to Egypt. Look at how God did this and how he did this to me and for me and for you. You may not know all the things that God has done for you. I'm showing you now. Listen. Obey the Lord and live. Receive his mercy. He says, So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. 
in the first month on the 14th day of the month at evening. You shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Is God not the ultimate teacher? Very important part of pedagogy, teaching, is repetition. It's repetition. God is so patient and He's so wonderful. He knows our capacity. He speaks to us once. speaks to us twice. He speaks to us as many times as needed with our particular capacity and ability to get the message right to our hearts. And it's up to us, once the message has been conveyed, to take action and say, I'm going to be different. Jesus, I want to be the best disciple. Not to show off and compare myself with others, but I want to be the best that I'm supposed to be with all that you've done for me and provided for me. That is true love. And God helps us. So he repeats this, For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. Over and over he keeps saying this. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Time's come. Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop this hyssop, this vegetation that's going to function as a tool to brush in the blood on the doorposts and the lintels. Dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Every family, you turn to the right, there's your neighbor, Israelite. He's got his lamb, he's got... Turn to the left, they're getting ready. What's happening? Where's mine? Right there, I better do the same thing. Everybody's getting ready. Because what God said He's going to do, it's going to happen. And none of you shall go out of the door of His house until morning. These very specific instructions and prohibitions, warnings, wasn't complicated. But there will always be people, thank God here it didn't happen, but they would do something like this later when it comes to the manna. They will test the Lord and tempt Him. Ten times at least in the wilderness. He says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when He sees the blood on the lintel, on the two doorposts, this cross beam on top, a cross piece, and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door 
There'll be no knock-knock. He'll just pass by, pass over. And not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. How very critical. Yes, they're God's people. Yes, they're the chosen people. The descendants of God's friend, Abraham. The great patriarch. But they had to follow his instructions. Just as Moses was almost killed on the way to his mission because he didn't circumcise his son. And his wife had to do it on the spot. Spared Moses' life with her action. In the wonder of the New Testament, the Bible says, be careful that you heed what God says and walk with Him carefully. With the greatest freedom we have, we must have the greatest caution not to overstep the boundary and disobeying God in anything. God gives us grace. If He ever thought that we're too weak, we'll keep failing until we get to heaven. There's no need for the Holy Spirit. There's no need for the Gospel. At least not the Gospel of the Bible. God means for us to mature. He means for us to go from faith to faith, strength to strength, glory to glory. Let us go on to perfection, the Bible says. To continue. To fulfill the ministry that God has given us, first of all, by keeping His commandments that He's told us to keep. And as we continue to walk with God, He'll begin to transform us. We must be always alert when the enemy tries to sneak in some of his poison to say, it's too much. You, you can't keep from being angry. And you seem to be doing good for a few days and there you go. You blew it. And it's hard to not be jealous and not to backbite. That's because we become very friendly with those sins. Instead of being militant against it because God hates it. Because it's no good. It brings death. Spiritual death. The more we hear the Word of God, the more we understand the Word of God, the more we fear the commandment of the Lord, the faster we'll become more like Jesus. The maturity will be on schedule as per God's calendar. These people observed, they obeyed, and they were spared. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you. What a promise. Just as he promised that you shall keep the service. And it shall be when your children say to you how God is concerned with the generations. Speak. Don't hold back. How many parents have suffered because they thought 
it's too early to tell the child about God and his judgments and I don't even know if I like that message. How many Christian parents? I think I should tell them God loves you and he'll never leave you and forsake nor forsake you. And he who's began a good work in you shall see the completion. I know you love God, honey. Even though you curse him every day with your actions. You defy him. The best thing I want to tell you is God loves you. I'll never ever tell you that you need to repent. You're insulting a holy God. You're headed toward hell. God loves you too much to not let you know that. I love you too much not to warn you. You see? Mommy, Daddy is transformed. I fear the Lord now. I was playing religion before. Fooling myself, not God. But I woke up one day and I want you to have the same joy of knowing how to live really live by becoming truly born again, faithfully observing the Word of God to do it. When your children say to you, what do you mean by the service? Oh, it's something that we, you know, happen um, to our ancestors and tell all the things that we want to tell but not the substance that God is looking for. They were given exact words to speak, that you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord. Listen to this. When your children say, how many people have, have been duped by the devil? Don't talk to your children about death. Don't talk to them about striking and killing. Meanwhile, they have the games that they play and so many things in the conversations full of blood and gore of the worst sort. But all of a sudden, Satan comes to sanitize, quote-unquote, the plain truth to keep those children smug with a mischievous smile that I know more than you, Mom, Dad. I have so much evil in me. You think I'm innocent? Go ahead, keep me sheltered by keeping me from the whole truth. I'd like to continue merrily on the deception. When the children say, what do you mean by the service? Oh, we have this unleavened bread. We get this matzah bread. And we get to get this hyssop and paint. You want to paint? Let's reenact this. What a wonderful curriculum in the Christian school. We just reenacted. We made a play out of it. No, God said, Tell the children it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. I'll never forget when I was a child, probably eight, nine, maybe ten years old, and my mother read to us from the Bible every day. We would play outside. We would go through all these activities that children do along with school. I'll never forget the awe I felt when she read Exodus. And I heard about God coming on the mountain. And the way he spoke...
how important it is for children to hear the whole truth about our, our all loving, all just, all powerful, all holy God. Then the children of Israel went away and did so. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, and there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. I don't want any more death, please. On your way out, don't kill us all. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. Having their knitting bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. And they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested, thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. Of course, the women. A mixed multitude went up with them also, in flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt. Now, this is the natural side of it. But the supernatural side is a significance also, God says about leaven. And why? The person will be cut off if they eat anything with leaven. They don't get rid of it during these days. They went with bread that was unleavened, hence this matzah, this uh, unleavened bread that some say was dried as they held it up on their shoulder from the sun. It wasn't leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, precisely, God knows the duration of every trial, exactly at the appointed time that God has, and he doesn't slumber or sleep, the one who keeps Israel. And he's very compassionate and gracious. His eyes are on the sparrow, how much more 
on you and I. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on the very same day, it came to pass that all the armies, these hosts of the Lord, went out from the land of Egypt. God is so excited. He said, these are my people. I love them. I'm bringing them out. I've been grieved with the way things were going. But these Egyptians would not repent. These Amorites would not repent. I'm going to take action. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord. A solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout the generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover, no foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten, you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. We know the Lord Jesus bones were not broken, though the two malefactors, the two criminals on either side, as was a routine practice, bones were broken. All the congregation of Israel should keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. And then let him come near and keep it. It has to do with the covenant. Not anybody can just come and say, I'll partake of the holy feast of the Lord. It's very specific to those who keep covenant. And he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. We're learning how God is very particular about what he wants each of us to do. And how he repeats it enough times so we can know for sure. And we can have that transferred into us that we're supposed to do this. What he said to do. And be keen to accomplish what he said to do. As we've mentioned more than once, if the Old Testament had 613 laws and regulations, ordinances. The New Testament has in excess of a thousand commandments. Yet the Lord Jesus said, all of this is summed up in these two. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If I really love the Lord with my whole being, I won't turn that TV on to watch something that is disgusting to the Lord. Even if it's funny. Even if many people watch it. Even if my pastor watches it. Not this pastor. Not in this church. But there are people who say, we need to be informed. I have to watch the late show. I have to watch the news. I have to... 
I need material to preach and I need to keep up with the times. There's an obsession with that and an excuse. And with that, the serpent comes and feels right at home in the preacher's house, in the Christian's home. All kinds of filth. God says, sanctify yourself. Look at your house. See what you have in your house. See what you allow to come into your house. And if anyone should say, Lord, you know I want to change things, but I don't have the latitude. I don't have the freedom. See, my kids are all grown up, or I have somebody else here that's opposed to me, or whatever it is. We can go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, do something, Lord. Because I'm grieved, truly, as you are with anything that's defiling in this house. Do something, Lord. After we've done everything we can do, we have the privilege and the right as the children of God to say, Lord, intervene. And God will. If we are zealous for His name, His glory in our home, wherever we are, even in a job, God can change things. We don't have to be stuck and say, well, this is what they say and they're in charge. No, God is in charge. God is in control. He changes laws. He deposes kings. He changes things. We need to have the zeal for the Lord and love for God to follow through on everything He said to do. This Passover is a monumental, very first feast given to the children of Israel in their seven feasts that they typically celebrate or celebrated until an eighth one was added later along with Purim. But they had the feast of the springtime, feast of the fall. Every feast had a tremendous significance pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. How beautiful. Progressively, patiently, the Almighty God, the all-knowing God, in all His unsearchable wisdom, has communicated things that are very tangible, very understandable, provided we shut out the noise and listen to the voice of Jesus to show us how everything is beautifully woven together for our blessing, everything God gives. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. If I have received the Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ, as an atonement, His blood for my sins, every dark thing I've done, every secret thing that maybe no other human being knows about, my God knew all about it and He still died on the cross for me. He loved me so much. If I can receive the Passover lamb to be the propitiation, the appeasement, the satisfaction for the wrath of God that should be upon me, it's removed, hallelujah. And I need to make sure I have no leaven. And we'll conclude with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, just turn over there for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In speaking with immorality that is being tolerated, 
in the church and immorality that's not even common, common among the heathen. The chapter, the apostle says by the Holy Spirit, in verse 6, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Just a little, just a little bit of sin. It'll go like yeast. Corrupt the church. Corrupt the family. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. Speaking of what? As you read further, you'll see sincerity and truth. The leaven stands for lies, deception, defilement, sin, immorality, taking liberty with whatever God said is good, whatever the boundaries are, I can do this and I can do that. No, let go of that thing. It will never satisfy and furthermore it will destroy you in your relationship with God. Cut the cords to every relationship that is not drawing you closer to Jesus Christ. That is not sanctified. With people and things, places and events. When you read this in 1 Corinthians 5-7, therefore purge out the old leaven, is reminiscent of that list that's given in 2 Peter 1, where he says, add to your faith virtue and virtue, knowledge and so on. He said, the one who lacks these things, Peter by the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter 1 says, has forgotten that he was what? Purged from his old sins. That old leaven is what we used to have, full full of that yeast in our lives spiritual yeast defiling the total person in our eyes it seemed like it was trivial no issue, non-issue and then the more we get closer to the Lord to the light we see it is a big issue such a drastic issue to have even a little bit of sin I need to get it out, that's what he says purge out the old leaven the old things. He said the one who doesn't have faith or adds to that faith virtue, purity and moral excellence. The one who doesn't have knowledge, not growing in the truth, not spending enough time in the word. The one who doesn't have self-control. The one who doesn't have patience. The one who doesn't have godliness utter devotion to the Lord, this piety, this godlikeness. The one who doesn't have brotherly kindness, different things happening in the heart, a little battle here and there, self-justifying. The one who doesn't have love, the ultimate God paid love. The apostle says by the Holy Spirit, if I don't have it, I better take a good look at this mirror, the Word of God, and see I'm lacking sorely. I'm not growing. And furthermore, I've forgotten that I was purged from those things. What things? 
lack of love, lack of self-control. God washed it all away. Why do I still have it? Because I haven't parted with it. I took it back. And he said, that person is spiritually blind. And when a person, a believer, or a pastor, or a leader, makes excuses and says, I know I lied. It was just a little lie. I was under pressure. What do you expect? I'm a human being. I love God. I just finished reading Joshua. And I led a Sunday school retreat. Um, I gave away tracts. I spent my own time and money on this evangelistic effort. I worship the Lord. I have my praise music on. I don't have secular music. Everything's good. I told a little lie. Just a little lie. That little lie is the leaven that can leaven the whole person according to God's word. He said, get rid of it. Don't justify yourself. Say, Lord, this can't be a part of me. And if I fail, I don't have to despair as if one has no hope. I need to run to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want this in my life. Help me to purge this Lebanon. Now the command is, you do it. But we know every time God says for us to do something, we can always ask for grace. He won't do it for us. But we can ask Him for grace to grow in the understanding of the urgency of the matter to take action put everything else on hold to make sure I'm right with God walking with God in the light as he's in the light I finish with these verses your glory is not good do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened for indeed Christ look at the beautiful analogy of the fulfillment of that ancient feast that we just read about. For indeed Christ, our Passover, His blood caused judgment to pass over us instead of upon us. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, the celebration, the dedication to God, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. It's possible for believers to be mischievous, wicked, unforgiving, malicious, bitter, jealous, disobedient, unthankful. He said, get rid of all of that stuff. Rather have the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Embrace Christ. Get rid of the leaven. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for showing us in Exodus and in Corinthians, elsewhere in your beautiful word, Lord, how we can grow and mature when we're careful to read carefully, first of all, and to listen carefully and to obey carefully everything you've said. And thank you, Lord, that it's not hard for the person whose attitude is right, the person who humbles himself or herself under your mighty hand. 
it becomes a way of life to please the Lord. Even as you said, Lord, that you didn't come to please yourself, but the one who sent you. That you always do the things that please the Father. And he told us that just as you overcame every temptation, every obstacle, and are set down at the right hand of the Father, so we are also called to overcome every obstacle, every sin, every temptation, to be pure, so we can also overcome and sit down with you on your throne, as you said in Revelation. And thank you, Father, for life. Thank you for life more abundantly in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that this day will be beneficial, Lord, to everyone with a heart of thanksgiving, eagerness to have a growth spurt by taking our spiritual food and chewing on it this day. All the spiritual vitamins you give with the food to mature. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We praise and thank you. Jesus' name, amen.